tonight. And I want you to listen as, as I play this for you. I want you to be considering values, priorities, commitments with regard to this conversation that unfolds here on the radio. Okay? And so you see on your sheet, we're going to be talking about biblical parenting, values, priorities, commitments, even a goal. And I just want you to think about those kind of things. Get those th- thoughts rolling through your mind. I'm going to play this, this audio, and uh, we'll, cut, we'll talk about it a little bit after, and then we'll kind of get into tonight's lesson. So uh, here, here goes. It's gonna, I'm just going to hold it up here. We'll see what happens, okay? So here you go. Well, I think it's fun because so often we have these questions rolling around in our head. We don't know where to go, but we're a family. So let's discuss it together and try to find a good answer. Well, we received an email. We posted this on our blog page as well as on uh, our, our Facebook page. We have the link. It says, what do you do with a wife who has no faith in your parenting skills? We've been married for almost nine years. We have three kids. No matter what the parenting issue is, big or small, she will always go over my head, showing no respect for my uh, decision-making abilities. Uh, this is tough. I know. We always discuss major issues, but the result is always the same. Her word goes. It used to be cute, a bit of a joke, but now my kids show no respect for me at all. I love my wife. I would never want to hurt her, but she needs to know how much she's hurting me. Man, this is serious. It is. I read in a book once that... What a woman needs most, a wife, is unconditional love. And for a guy, it is respect. And so he has to be breaking inside. He cannot be silent. He has to talk to his wife about it and let her know how important it is. He needs that respect and to trust him. And I'm a little bit of a controller. Really? And there were times that I would jump in if I saw my husband doing something parenting-wise that maybe I wouldn't be doing initially and I would say oh no 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 don't do it that way and we had a discussion and when I let go and respected my husband and his right. decisions it was amazing how much he just started to shine as a dad and gave him the opportunity because I believed in him and he all of a sudden believed in himself so they have to have that discussion and they have to have mutual respect and she has to step back Maybe get somebody, a professional counselor involved sure. in their relationship because this is nothing to mess around with. No, and I, I, I completely agree with you that, you know, it's just going to give you an opportunity to shine. And that's, and that goes both ways because yes. as, as that husband, it's like, this is, you know, my, my idea of the perfect woman. And if she has confidence in me, I must be worth having confidence in. Absolutely. You believe yes. in yourself. That's true. Love to know what you think. 800 900. Okay, this is uh, on our radio waves. This was aired broadcast just right here locally, not many weeks ago. Um, what do you guys think about that? How do you feel about that? You see any value? What were the values? What were the commitments? Oh no! <laughs> no, no, no. No, that's, it was just interesting catching a, a glimpse of this and, and starting to hear what is being offered. So what, what's your take on that? Feel good about myself. Feel good? A lot of self-esteem stuff going on. Okay. What else you guys notice about that? Any other comments about that? You guys catch any? They didn't make a point of God's word being the answer. Okay. There was no reference to God's word. Okay. This is K-Love. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, sort of. Well, <laughs> they were married, and he said it was cute 
for a while, but now it's undermining his authority in the home. Sure. Yeah. So it needs to be addressed. Certainly. And probably in private between the two of them, and then they need to start working on the kids. Yeah. Anything else? You guys catch anything else about this one? Yeah. Now we're starting to get on something. Yeah. Oh, as, as I look back and reflected on this, and I must have listened to it a few uh, times, several times, one of the words that comes up and is highlighted uh, quite a bit is respect. The showing of respect. Respect, respect, respect. And in this, in this context, is this respect of the vertical relationship or the horizontal relationship? Okay, so it's only horizontal. Okay. And then there was this idea of faith that he said that um, a wife who has no faith in his parenting skills, that his wife needed to trust him, that he would believe in himself, and that she could have confidence in him, and, and that a wife would have confidence in you, and then you would have confidence in yourself. And at the end, she says, oh, you believe in yourself. Okay, so I would ask you again, belief, confidence, trust, those are all aspects of faith, right? That all goes in hand with faith. Okay, and all that, all that faith, confidence, trust, all that angle, was that focused on the vertical relationship or the horizontal relationship? Okay, so where in the conversation did you hear the name Jesus Christ? Where in the conversation did you hear God's righteous standard? Where did in the conversation did you hear someone reference a scripture passage from the Bible? What was the reference that was cited? I heard in a book once, right? <laughs> I heard in a book once that women need unconditional love and guys need respect. Is, is that the end of the story? Is that really what we need? Is that really what's going to set off this parenting relationship? Or is something bigger needed? Is, do eyes need to turn to a bigger relationship? Do you see the challenge? Okay, so, so this is a radio conversation, and it all kind of focused and went toward what relationship? The horizontal relationship, and there was zero mention about how the wife is disrespecting Christ's plan for her marriage. There was zero mention of the man's responsibility to lead his wife in an understanding way and to be gentle and patient and to lead her into truth, into scripture, into right teaching. There was no mention about their Christianity. There was no mention about the church that they go to. All these things were left empty. There was no mention about their understanding about salvation, about the Christ. The, the price Christ paid on the cross about the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling a person. Do you see what's missing here? That's a lot, right? <laughs> and you can just see how quickly sideways this goes. Thankfully, at the end, she did mention the idea of going to see a professional counselor. But what do you suppose is on her mind when she says professional counselor? Marriage and family therapist. Exactly right. So the opportunity to take this to the Bible... Is, is so readily apparent, and these folks are going to be steering their lives in a path that just grinds around, grinds around, keeps grinding that wheel, and won't lock teeth with anything that's got meat. And that's what we want to do. We want to lock teeth with something that's got meat, and it can actually make the wheel of our life go around accurately, powerfully. And that's what we're going to look at tonight for biblical parenting. You know, hearing that on the radio really was one of the motivations to kind of run into this conversation and then a few other... Uh, other um, 
conversations in the church as well. And so I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to this opportunity to really talk about biblical parenting. And, and for those of us who've been here on Sunday nights, the, the priority or the aim has really been understanding biblical counseling. So I really want to talk about this from the aim or the aspect of if we're going to be counselors, if we're going to be those folks in the church who try to come alongside and assist others, then these are the things that our eyes need to be focused on in in relation to to biblical counseling and then biblical parenting, coming alongside and helping parenting. So my aim is to come alongside of you. So let's go take this journey together and walk down. What does biblical parenting look like? What should we expect? What are the foundations? What are the priorities? That's what we're going to start the conversation with right now. So the priorities, the parenting priorities, uh, biblical parenting priorities. At the outset of the conversation, it's important and necessary to consider the desire for the conversation, the desire for the conversation. What do parents want from parenting? What do parents want from parenting? What do you, what do you think parenting is all about? Why should we want to evaluate our parenting or to take steps to improve it? The answers to these questions can go in two directions. On the one hand, you can have folks saying, um, yeah, I'm looking at parenting and want to be a better, better parent because I get a personal benefit out of it. Certainly, there are things that come that are beneficial to parenting. They include joy out of life for you personally, more joy out of your child, seeing your uh, your child be a joy to others. Uh, these are things that we can get out of, of biblical parenting. You can give someone advice about their life right out of the Bible, and without even being a Christian, if they put that to practice, they're going to come up with this kind of joy because that's the way the Bible is structured. There's enough truth in there to make a change in someone's life. But we want a higher desire. We want something bigger. We want a bigger goal. And that's the idea. On the other hand, there is a self, there, there's a less selfish desire, which has all the same benefits. A less selfish desire, which has all the same benefits. There's a pursuit which has a higher and more satisfying target. There's a purpose so high and so great that the purpose itself will provide the power to plow through fortified walls of resistance in the hearts of not only children, but more importantly, parents. What is that purpose? What purpose is so powerful it can tame the heart of a child and break the bad habits of hopelessly lost parents? It's the glory of God. It's the glory of God. It's the central focus of our lives. It's the reason why you live. So from the outset of the conversation, we must understand that success demands parents who want the glory of God. This is is what each person wants, just fulfilling a personal mandate, an individual mandate, We all want the glory of God. You just pull this over and bring it into parenting. Success demands parents who want the glory of God. Children were given to parents for the glory of God. Parents' sanctification through their children is unto the glory of God. Parents' growth and improvements are demonstrations of God's glory and glory going to God. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 10, 31. If we fail at this point, this glory to God notion. If we fail at this point, unquestionably it will yield failure, ultimate failure. Because without wisdom, we have only the wisdom of men. And the wisdom of men never looks to the heart, but it looks to two things. I'm going to talk about these before we jump into 1 Corinthians. But the heart of men looks to two things. It looks for either conformity or comfort. The heart of men. Conformity or comfort? On the, on the conformity side, you come down with strict authoritarian parents, parenting, laying down rules, 
ultimately with no authority of your own that you're looking to. You just hammer kids with rules and you yourself have no authority. What are the kids going to see in that relationship? Hypocrisy. They're going to see hypocrisy. You'll get compliance to your rules, but you won't get the heart. And later the children will ultimately disrespect your authority. They'll rebel. And you know what kids do, right? When, when they have parents who are so authoritarian that you just follow my rules, when they get to 18 and they walk out of the house, do they stick with the parents' ideas, philosophies, religion? No, they just go out and do something entirely different because they've got to get away from something that wasn't consistent, that had heaps of hypocrisy. On the other side, there are the, the other man way is to seek comfort. Parenting by comfort. These parents fail to offer any rules at all, living and loving grace, just letting grace abound, giving, giving always with toys and money and food, just giving as if there's no boundaries in life that we have to, each one of us has to work by. This is, this is Christless grace that these parents give, Christless grace. And it's a cheap man-made imitation of grace that never points the children to the author of all grace. The kids take the grace and the freedoms and they use them for all kinds of their own immorality, sin, and rebellion. We don't want man-centered parenting. We want God-centered parenting. So we'll do well to read this 1 Corinthians passage. It says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything to the glory of God. And we're just going to take that and we're going to hold that truth of God from his word and we're just going to put it right over the top of parenting and say, if we're going to be parents at all, if we're going to be parents of, of any value to our children at all, it's going to have to come with this verse as a baseline understanding. I'm going to do parenting unto the glory of God. The glory of God. This must be the focus of everything we do in our lives, and parenting is no different. Priority number one in parenting is priority number one in life. You operate your life unto the glory of God. And so our objective for our time tonight is this. Okay, It's this to create foundational commitments and goals for parenting that glorify God. I'll say that again. To create foundational commitments and goals for parenting that, that glorify God. And I had to start this conversation with the end, right? With the glorify God part. And so we just did that. We tackled that part. Why are we going to set goals and why are we going to make commitments? I want you to know the so that. So that you glorify God. Okay, Oliver, well, what kind of commitments do we need to make? And what kind of goals should we have? Well, that's what we're going to look at next. We're going to begin by taking a look at four foundational commitments of biblical parenting. Four foundations. And they, there's a rank order to them. There's, there's a most important that we'll talk about, and then not, not a least important. They're all important because they all are driven by Scripture. Okay? So they're, they're all important, but they do have a hierarchy. And if you miss the ones at the beginning and you only do the ones at the end, you've failed. You've got to have the ones at the beginning, which even go right back to what we talked about first, the glory of God. Our commitments will be built on the central focus, the glory of God. How valuable is the word of God for those who want to glorify him? Well, we would all acknowledge it's very valuable, right? We believe that the Bible is inerrant and sufficient, that the Bible alone can tell us all that we need, not only for life and godliness, but also specifically what God wants us to do in parenting. We're going toward Ephesians 6.4. You see that on your notes. That's where we're going to. We're going to get down to Ephesians 6.4, but that's what you want to put there. So number one, so our, our number one commitment is to the word of God. That's our number one commitment is to the word of God. And when I say the word of God, I'm trying to draw out two things. Number one, Christ, the incarnate word of God. 
the, the ultimate manifestation of God and his word, his, his revelation, his communication through Christ, but also the word of God, the revelation of scripture that we have. So the word of God is our number one commitment, our number one focus, Christ and his word. We love the text because we love the man, Christ Jesus, the incarnate word of God. These realities to us are inseparable, that there is God, his word, and his son, and these three become our lives. But we do not know true life apart from these things. If we hold these convictions and we make this our number one commitment, it makes us true sons of God and we become pleasing representatives of God. John 1.12 says this, But as many as received him, he gave to them the right to become the children of God, even those who believe in his name. Of course, this comes then with obligations, right? Because if you're going to be called a child of God, then there's certain expectations that are created. We've, we've talked about this before. I, I love that terminology. For me, that works really well. Expectations of behavior. People hate this whole judgment idea. Fine, fine. I won't, I won't judge you. No, no worries. I'll just have expectations of your behavior. <laughs> expectations of behavior. That's good, though, right? Because if we're Christians... Shouldn't it come with an obligation to perform in some fashion that honors God? Absolutely. You should, every year, next year, you should be more loving than you are today. You should be more self-controlled in your speech tomorrow than you are today. You should be more willing to give up your self-interests, willing to shut down all your selfish pursuits and serve others instead because your example is Christ and because you love him. Children can see this, right? We know that. They're watching. They're paying attention. They model our behavior. Biblical parents show their kids that Jesus is number one, that the word of God is number one. And if if their love is Christ and their desire is to serve him, biblical parents can understand then commitment number two. Commitment number two is biblical parents are committed to their spouse. They're committed to their spouse. So turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 5, 28 to 32. So we've got Christ, the word of God, the written revelation of God, and Christ himself as our number one commitment, our number one focus, if we're going to glorify God. And our number two commitment, we're going to say, is the commitment to our spouse. God is a covenant-making God. We've got the Noahic, the Mosaic, the Davidic, and the New Covenant. God loves covenants. And marriage is a covenant relationship. God loves marriage, and he demands that we love it as well. And if anyone is going to have any satisfaction in marriage at all, it will come from understanding God's love for marriage. Malachi 2.16, God says this in Malachi 2.16. He says, I hate divorce. In 2.15, God said, let no one deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. So here we are in Ephesians 5. And what does Paul say in verse 28 of chapter 5 of Ephesians? I'm going to read the text with me. It says this. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. You know, the kids we only have in our house for 18 years, and then they're gone, if you're lucky, right? (laughs) 18 years and they're gone. Your spouse you have forever. 
as a forever spouse, at least as long as you're in the flesh. We should want this relationship to be all joy. It's, it's best for all of us when we, when we covet and treasure our marriage. No friendship is like this. No child-parent relationship is like this. And so the command goes out to biblical parents. If you're going to be a biblical parent, honor the marriage relationship. Honor this relationship just as you honor Christ. Also, understand the biblical roles of spouses. You can see those in Ephesians 5:22 to 24 and Ephesians 5:25. Husbands need to be leaders and lovers and learners of their wife. You've got to bring her to the word of God. You've got to commit to the church and to right doctrine, to shepherd her heart and to lead her. You've got to know her and spend time with her and pour yourself out for her. And, and wives, your job is to honor your husband. It goes back to that respect thing, right? <laughs> so they were a little right, but they just completely missed the idea that it comes from the Bible. Honor your husband. Be his helpmate. Be a good homemaker. Make a good home, a place that he wants to be. You need to know your God-given roles in your home, which is to honor Christ. So what does failure mean? I mean, failure at these points. What happens if, if husbands and wives fail at these points? Well, it's kind of tantamount to a, the idea that you don't really love Christ, right? So we want to really be careful about biblical counseling and then counseling parents that if we see failure just at the, at the level of loving wife, hmm, whoa, hang on a second. Underneath that, if a loving wife was a number two, that, that begs a question about priority Number one, commitment number one, do you really love Christ if you, if you can't love your wife? And following a love for your spouse next, we would see that biblical parenting requires a commitment to your family. Number three, a commitment to your family. And I would ask you to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 6. This naturally follows the last point, right? So we've got our spouse, and then before our spouse we have Christ, the Word of God, the written revelation, we honor Christ, we honor the word of God, and then we honor our spouse, and then we honor our families. We are, we're just creating a hierarchy that helps us to see what the priorities that we need to have in life are. Biblical parents need to know what the Bible says about taking care of their families, how to love them and cherish them, discipline them, disciple them, train them, lead them. Failure Failure, in this instance, would lead to hypocrisy and shame. And you can see people wearing that around, right? You can see people wearing hypocrisy and shame. And so you want to counsel them and say, well, where are the priorities? And then you can go back to priorities and start walking down priorities and come back to the foundational pieces. Well, is God, God's glory really what you're after? Is it really that you love Christ? Do you really love your spouse before you love everybody else on the face of the earth? Where are you at with these things? So here we're talking about the family. And if, if, you're, if you're hypocritical, it's going to be uncovered in your actions. It's far better to know what the Bible says and then do it to be obedient to the word of God and to care for your family. So your Deuteronomy 6. Listen to the word of Moses here to the Israelites. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. 
You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And what this passage is saying is that God takes center stage everywhere. In your home, in your conversation, in your lives. Biblical parents invest time, attention, and effort into their families, and they realize that children are a gift of the Lord. Psalm 127, verse 3. And with this gift comes responsibility. Kids then become the greatest opportunity to complete Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Great Commission. To go, therefore, and baptize all the nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That our, our children's salvation is at stake. Not only that, the testimony of the parents as they confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Then the name of Jesus Christ in the church could be compromised as well if there's not faithfulness to follow through with the task of parenting our families. Judges chapter 2, verses 6 to 7, records the incredible success of, of Joshua's generation and the obedience that they had. But then just three verses later, Judges chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 records another generation who served the Baals for their wickedness. God sent pain and their lives were plundered. Commitment to your family means concern for their fate here and in eternity. Biblical parents must share Christ, dying to self in order to give their kids the gospel. Biblical parenting, or biblical counseling of parents would, would ask tough questions like this. If you, were, if you were counseling someone and you were sitting with them, you might ask a tough question like this. What do you need to give up for your family? What selfish pursuit do you tackle and, and expose your life to so often that's causing you to miss opportunities to demonstrate and show love for your kids? Well, finally, we move on to commitment number four, and that's not unlike commitment number three. It's, it's commitment to others. Commitment to others. Commitment to your family, commitment to others. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. Biblical parenting does not end in the home. That's kind of the point of this section. Biblical parenting moves on to be an example, to demonstrate what's going on in your heart, that your real priority, your real desire in life is to love God, to bring God glory. Biblical parents seek to demonstrate to our children the fullness of our relationship with Christ to his bride, the church. So here we are in Galatians 6, verse 10, and it says this. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially those who are of the household of faith. So how can we do especially good to the church? Well, certainly not by forsaking it. We, we need to assemble. We need to come together. That's obvious. But beyond this, what are we practicing? What do we need to practice in Scripture with one another? Well, the one another's, right? We need to practice the one another's of Scripture. We need to show our kids that we love one another in the church, that we serve one another, that we forgive one another, that we have hospitality toward one another, care for one another, even concern for one another, and that we would make investments in each other, in the body of Christ, and we show that to our kids. These things are lovely. They prove the existence of God when we do these things through the person of the Holy Spirit who is empowering these activities to happen through us. The family needs to see this. This service and care 
toward the church. The, the, the kids need examples. And when you make this a priority, when you make this a commitment to serve others, beginning with the household of faith, you're doing your parenting justice. You're doing your commitment to the Lord justice. You're following through. It can't be said of you that you're hypocritical. If you say, I'm doing all to the glory of God, I love Christ and his word, I love my spouse, I love my family, and I love others. And you're doing these things. You're showing an example. Even beyond this, the verse says to do good to all people, right? It's not just the household of faith. It's first the household of faith, and then it's to all people. This makes our homes and our lives and our commitments the face of Jesus Christ in a dark, dark world. You know, I'm really thankful for my wife. One of the things that she's really uh, enjoyed doing for the last several years, she gets a kick out of it, and she makes great cookies. And so she'll make cookies for uh, folks in the church, people that we've had relationships with, and, and then she'll make a batch of cookies that includes a few other neighbors around. And we'll take these out. It's our joy to take these around and drop them off with folks. And so this is the reaching out to the household of faith and then also reaching out to the neighbors. And that's just one practical way because the kids get to see the effort that goes into the making of the cookies and they get to participate in the delivery of the cookies. And it's just something simple and fun. But that's just a practical way that that's come across in my life. And and there's certainly and inevitably ways that you've done this as well. We need to share these with one another. Share these things. Share these ideas. How can we serve and give and love? Let the world know who we are in Christ. With simple obedience to Christ, our families are lovely and glorious. And without obedience and commitment to Christ, our families, you get this, without obedience and commitment to Christ, our families could become a stain to Christianity. That's, that's, that's not a pretty thought. That's not a pretty thought. But the other is true as well. We have the opportunity to bring great glory to Christ and his church. So a big part of biblical counseling is having both a commitment to the local church, a biblical parenting, commitment to the local church, and a commitment to our neighbors. In these things, God finds glory for himself through us as we become incredible examples to our children and to our neighbors and to our fellow believers. So I gave you this order on purpose, right? These things matter. And, I, and I'm really hoping that you see the order. The, the order of importance is truly uh, important to biblical parenting to see the order. If you, if you love the church without loving your, your spouse, success or failure? Okay, if, if you love others ahead of loving your family, success or failure? Do you, do you see how this goes? So it is so paramount that you see this as a hierarchy, and that hierarchy is on, on the back of your page as well, uh, in a diagram on the back of your handout. I just want you to see that. So then some questions. First, when I say example, are you also hearing the word influence? When I say that you're being an example to your children, are you, are you hearing influence? Because influence matters, right? When did influence start happening in the Bible? Genesis chapter 3, right? Influence is important. And so you become an influence in your children's lives their whole life, and they'll trust you and, and believe in the things that you have to say if you show yourself to be a faithful example, which goes back to um, our definition. We'll talk about that in a moment. So then the question, are these agreeable for biblical parents? If, if we want to talk about biblical parenting with somebody, should we set out this criteria? Is this what was missed in the radio conversation? It was missed in the radio conversation, wasn't it? There wasn't any of this going on, right? Gee, you're, you're, you're disrespecting your husband. Huh, I wonder if that has something to do with your relationship to Christ. 
I wonder if that has something to do with how you honor the scripture. I wonder if that has something to do with what you understand about the glory of God. Hmm. Do you see how all this fits together, how all these pieces work? So we have to create the foundation, though, right? And we build up from that. What stops a family from, from these commitments? What kind of things stop a family from these commitments? Any idea? That's on my list. Okay, yes. Ignorance is on my list, yes. From last week. What did we try to end last week? We'll never end it, but we, we gave it a shot. Bad theology, right? Bad theology can help out with apathy, right? These are, these are all hindrances or, or blocks, roadblocks, that prevent people from making these commitments. So how does course correction happen? How can you change? How can a family shift gears? Right, theology, right. We need to go in and correct bad theology. But if we're going to do that, they have to actually put the phone call in to the biblical counseling office or the pastor's office and say, hey, can I talk to somebody? What has to happen for that phone call to be placed? Which, and, and what specific desire are we looking to see from that person? The glory of God. And that will manifest itself in that life in, in the aspect of humility. That's what we want to see. Humility. They'll humble themselves and they'll, they'll, they'll look at the landscape of their life and they'll say, this is a mess. What did I do? How can this be fixed? And they'll see the household of God like Asaph did. They'll see the household and they'll run to the house of God and they'll seek answers to get back on track to glorify God. So then what's the effect of, of verbal affirmation of these truths without literal fulfillment? Verbal affirmation without literal fulfillment. What's the, what's, the, what's the outcome? What's the effect? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Tension, stress, anxiety, frustration, depression, bitterness, anger, even wrath. Do you see this? Boy, how many families have those things kind of riddled right into the fabric? Where does it come from? It comes from a focus that's turned away from the glory of God, and then all the other pins start undoing themselves, just unbuckling, and, and just nastiness gets created. What do you call someone? Oh, we already did that. I appreciate that answer. What do you call someone who says one thing and does another? It's a hypocrite. So if you're a Christian and you say, I'm a Christian, then you need to do Christianity. And that's what we're trying to build a case for, is someone to do Christianity. Well, these are the central commitments even the first conditions upon which anything biblical can happen in our homes, for our children, or for our peace. Once we have these convictions, these commitments, the next thing that we would need to do is to create an appropriate goal, specifically with regard to parenting. And that's what we want to look at next, the, the parenting goal. Simply stated, a good goal for parenting is right there on your sheet. To be a faithful instrument in God's hands to actively bring up my child according to biblical principles. I'll say that again to be a faithful instrument in God's hands for actively bringing up my child according to biblical principles. So what makes this a good goal? I just want to go through a couple of things real quick. Three things, three reasons why, why this is a good goal. It asks that you be something that you already want to be anyway. Who wants to be a faithful instrument in the hands of God? Okay, so we're just going to incorporate that right into the goal. This honors your previous desire to bring glory to God in all things, to be a faithful instrument, doesn't mean that you have to be perfect instrument. Then, then those other words that are in there, in God's hands. 
in God's hands. That's a great acknowledgement of the power and sovereignty of God in all of your life and your child's life. So that's a wonderful thing to, to think about. I'm an instrument in God's hands. That's what I want to do. And that he's completely sovereign. I'm in his hands. He gets to use me the way that he wants to. A second reason would be this. This parenting goal suggests that the action of the parent is important. It says that there's need for activity. That act, activity needs to be constant. A continual activity. That act, act, You need to actively be communicating parenting by doing, which is like love, right? Because love isn't what you get. Love is what comes down from heaven into your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit and out of you at other people. That's what love is. Well, parenting is the same way. It's actively doing, going and doing parenting. It means taking responsibility. It means being engaged and being intentional because you are involved in the bringing up of a child, and this child will be brought up. They'll learn how to They'll learn and they'll grow. And biblical parents can't be idle in this process. Biblical parenting understands that children will grow and will learn. And biblical parents seek to make this happen for the central purpose of the glory of God. Number three, a reason why this is a great definition for us and a goal for us, is by instilling biblical principles, first getting the biblical principles into the head of the parent, into, in, into, the, into yourself, to know the plan of God and the direction of God and the value of the church. So you, you take and put those, you put those biblical principles that that definition says, you put them into you. And then, by example, you put them into your children. You have a genuine opportunity to teach the commandments of Christ only if it appears to all, only when it appears to all that you are actively following the commandments of Christ. And the reason I put that in my notes is to say, if you... Say with your mouth that you love Jesus Christ and that this is a good goal for you, but you don't back it up with actions. It becomes hypocrisy to you. It becomes pointless, even fruitless, to teach to Christ. I did have a, an opportunity one time. I had, to, I had to take the opportunity. I was presented with a guy who was at, uh, in, the, in counseling in, with me in Los Angeles, and he was downtown preaching things about our church and saying all kinds of things about Christ and God. And his wife was up north, closer to Sacramento, and they were separated, and they were six, six months uh, separated. And he was down there doing drugs and alcohol and working in an industry that he shouldn't have been. And he was down there also evangelizing and bringing people to Grace Community Church. What do you tell someone like that? Cease and desist, right? <laughs> please don't do that. Please, please make your life square up with what the Bible would have you do first before you go out and try to... See, it's that whole priority thing, right? He's going to others to reach out to the gospel, and he hasn't even got his own life straight to be able to say that. You don't want to have to say that to a biblical parent. That you're, 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 you're saying this thing, but you're doing this thing. We, we need to bring those things into alignment, activities, actions in our lives into alignment. So we, we have a great goal here in this goal that we presented. Our definition of biblical parenting eliminates the opportunity for passive parenting. You can't check out. You can't forfeit. You can't walk away and maintain a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Engagement then becomes mandatory because of the blood of Christ. So we need to talk about two factors that explain both the shed blood of Christ and the mandate to biblically parent your children. The first is man is inherently evil. We know this, right? This is total depravity. 
Man is inherently evil. Man rejects God. The state of man made it absolutely necessary for God to fix his condition, and Jesus came to die for sinners. So we have man being inherently not good. In fact, man being depraved and only wicked continually, right, according to Jeremiah 17.9. His will, his mind, his emotions, his speech, his behavior, they're all corrupted. And David says this is the case from birth. In Psalm 58.3, David tells us that total depravity begins in the womb. He says the wicked are estranged from the womb, these who speak lies and go astray from birth. I would ask you the question, which four-year-old needs to be taught to lie or be selfish or rebel or disobey? Babies are cute, but babies are vipers in diapers. That's what babies are. Babies are vipers. In, you know, this, this little person, this little life, they're the most crafty of all manipulators. You tell me, is every cry that you hear for milk absolutely necessary? Is, is every cry given driven by pain? Is every cry given driven by pain? They seek their own comfort on their own terms, and they use this sweet little face and this tiny little frame and this precious little voice to get everything that they want. Babies, kids of all ages, and adults have a greatest need in common. What's the same need that the baby has that you have? What's exactly... That baby needs the same thing that you and I need. We need salvation in Jesus Christ alone. See, behaviorism won't help. Conformity won't get to Christ. Conformity, rules, demands won't get to a heart change. And that's what biblical parents need to be focused on and dead set. I'm committed to biblical parenting because I know my child's heart must change. That wicked rebellion that they begin with must change. Today I had the opportunity to teach the kids from Genesis chapter 4. And these kids down the hallway, I had to look at them in the face and tell them, don't kid yourself. I said that to them this morning, don't kid yourself. You're more like Cain than like Abel. You're more like Cain than like Abel. Now how many people out there believe that? Do you believe that? You need to know that because that's your heart too. We're more like Cain than like Abel. Liar, murderer, rebel to God's word, complainer, even when he was punished. This right view of man and children is essential to parenting. All biblical principles to be taught hinge on that truth. It's sometimes it's hard to, ch- to, to, to share the gospel with anybody if you can't first make them acknowledge that they're sinners. You have to start with the sin conversation. The second factor we need to move to is that God is perfect in wisdom. And when we say God is perfect in wisdom, we need to understand from the New Testament that Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 8.3. He puts great emphasis on the word of God, that every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is bread to us, that we need it for food to sustain ourselves. And so we uphold scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is profitable, inspired by God, and it can reprove and correct and, and train in righteousness. And you ask the question, is that true? Or is it untrue? And most definitely it's true. It's absolutely true. Okay, okay then. Well, what, is, what does God's word say about biblical parenting? And this is where we come to Ephesians 6.4. You can turn there in, there in your Bibles. Ephesians 6.4. If we really are intent on understanding the word of God, and we really do believe 2 Timothy 3.16, and we really do track with the idea that when Jesus Christ spoke, he affirmed all of scripture. 
He affirmed the totality of what came before, and he told the disciples they were going to make Scripture moving forward. Then we take God's Word seriously, and we put it to practice in our lives, like this verse says to do. And so it starts off in this verse, and he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And this really becomes the the center point for biblical counseling training for biblical parenting. That parents need to have, if they have this, they have a framework that will guide them down the road to understand how to parent their children. This passage is God's wisdom for biblical parenting. This text tells us that we need to know about the nature of parenting and the great needs of parenting. So the nature of parenting. First, we get a rebuke. (laughs) Because Paul knows dads all too well, right? And so this target this, this targets us because we provoke our children. We, we're often uh, overbearing, and, and our sin comes right out of us. But we must master over it. We must not provoke our children. There's a negative command. Do not provoke your children to anger. But then the positive command. Positively, you are to bring up your children. That's the general command. That's the, that's the umbrella. Bring up your children. This is... The active aspect of biblical parenting, there is no time to be passive. There is no time to be content with the progress. There is no time for lost training opportunities. I did spend four years of my life in the Navy, two of those on the, on the ship. And as we took off and went overseas, even before we went overseas, this is the way that this goes. Every day is a training day. There wasn't one time when the, when the damage control department didn't have a fire drill on our ship. Every day had a fire. You didn't know when it was coming, and someone would take a flag and wave the flag, and the guys would have the first responders were on scene, and then everybody else took their places, and we battled the fire. Came in pretty handy. Every day is a training day. Your parents, my ship, because guess what? We got two days outside of Hawaii, headed over to the Persian Gulf, and the center of the ship, one of the engine rooms, one of the, one of the compartments caught on fire. It burned through three different rooms, including the officer's wardroom. And that fire had to be put out by us. We had to respond at 6.50 in the morning to put out this fire. We pulled into Singapore, and they had to fix this thing back up. Training. It helped that fire be contained quickly. Train your children. Train their hearts to know God, to serve God. We need to, we need to do that. We need to be active with that. This is a command. You, mom, dad, you, bring up your children. Raise them. Pour into them. Be intentional with them. Labor for them. Sweat for them. Bleed for them. Even die for them. Do you want to have your child, do you want to have that conversation with them in in heaven about what you weren't willing to give up for their salvation? Do you want to have that conversation with Christ? That would not be a pleasant conversation. You you give everything that you've got. You put it all downrange. How many times do I need to say I'm sorry? How many times do I need to humble myself and, and tell you that we'll try again, we'll do better the next time? I will come to the table again and again. Notice that this biblical parenting command is, is the first of two. And there's, there are others unto it. The second is the great, need of, the, the great needs of parenting. And there are two great needs from Ephesians 6.4. And they are the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We're to bring them up. That's the umbrella. We're to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We need to consider these two terms, discipline and instruction. Discipline is a general term. It talks more about training, the training and instruction of the Lord. Parents can 
use rules, guidelines, restrictions, correction, reward, and structure, even schedules to help train children. You know, children aren't born using time wisely. They're not born uh, quickly rushing into righteousness. They're born quickly rushing into evil. And they lack understanding. The Bible says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. In investing time in them, we, we need to train them to help them overcome their sin nature. Parents are encouraged to set up their household rules according to their family-tailored needs and according to the consciences of mom and dad. But it has to be along biblical guidelines. And don't forget, we know this biblical principle all too well, right? The sowing over here is going to yield to a harvest over here. And what you sow over there, the seeds that you sow over there, you're going to reap them. And so we need to look at biblical parenting, and when we see this, we want to counsel people. We need to understand that the field in which they find themselves is the harvest of what seeds they were sowing from before. And so what we need to help them to see is that if you don't like this harvest that you're in, if you're not liking what you're eating and what you're consuming from your children right now, then we need to get new truths put into this situation so that we can sow new seeds, different seeds, because it would be a, a fool that would take the same seeds and go over here and say, I don't like what I'm sowing, and sow the same seed all over again. Do you want the pain of that harvest? No. We take new truth, we put it in here, and we sow new seeds. And we, we say, Lord, I see the harvest that you've given me right now. I'm not happy with it. I want to change, change this, but I accept it. I will eat this harvest, but I will also at the same time grab new information and remove my bad theology so that I can move forward and get a different harvest in the future. So we need to be considering our harvest through training and the discipline that we offer our children. What seeds are we sowing? You know, it's of great significance that by having standards of behavior and expectations, there are then built-in opportunities for the gospel. Don't you love this? This is great. When kids fail, it's a wonderful thing. Because when they don't meet your standard and your expectation, what do you have an opportunity to share? The gospel. The gospel. You have an, if you have boundaries and structures and they go over and they cross the line and they, they make a mess of their life and you have to go over and shepherd that child by having the appropriate boundaries, now you can explain the gospel because it shows them their sinfulness. Just like the Old Testament law showed Israel their sinfulness, their wickedness, that they could not hang with God, that they never matched his righteous standard, and that they had to have a substitute. So you need to set up boundaries in those relationships with children, structure, so that you can present the gospel. The next great need is the instruction. And this is our, our favorite Greek word, nutheteo, which is to admonish. It's to admonish. It's to Put into the mind of the child to admonish. This is this word, instruct, instruction. Children need verbal admonition, encouragement, advice, warning. Moreover, they need to know God. They need to know the person of God, the nature of God, and that's what your instruction will get to them. You use your instruction time to teach your kids about God, the character of God, the nature of God, how he sustains all life, and nothing is hid from his eyes, particularly their heart, that he can see down into their heart that he knows them better than they know themselves. They can't hide from him. 
Through instruction, you're given the opportunity and the great responsibility as a parent to put into your child's mind the very character and nature of God. So we're going to give our kids structure and order as well as knowledge and advice. We're going to give them rewards and restriction in addition to warning and wisdom. We're going to give them correction and we're going to give them the character of God. Biblical parents must offer both. And they must be wise about giving what is needed and when it's needed. On the back of your sheet, there's an indication of that. What's needed and when it's needed. And you can see that in the early stages of a child's life, there is much more need for structure. There is, there is much more need for discipline, for training. And later on, you can see that that kind of shifts gears. And by the time they turn 13, there's less need for the structure and more need for the instruction. They need you to teach them about who God is and shepherd their hearts. It seems to be the case that discipline or teaching is is needed more in the early years, whereas admonition and instruction are heavier in the later years. Again, the aim of biblical parenting is twofold, to be a faithful instrument and for your children to come to know God, to fear him, and to know that he is the God of all grace. We expect obedience because God does, doesn't he? Isn't that what God expected in, in Genesis chapter 2? Didn't he expect obedience? Okay, well, shouldn't that follow that we expect obedience from our children? That, that needs to be at the, at the forefront of our minds as we consider biblical parenting. And so as, as we have those expectations of their behavior, that they know God, that, and that's what, you know, I've got to tell you, being a Calvinist makes all this possible for me, really. Because if someone doesn't understand the order of salvation, if they don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, if they don't understand the person of God, if they don't understand these pieces, then this whole thing, this whole parenting conversation blows up because you don't have those foundational markers to know how salvation happens, to know the depravity of man, to know unconditional election, to know these things. But if you know them, then you can look for them and you can expect them. And you can have great confidence as you march through life that I'm doing what God wants me to do because I'm focused on his glory, because I love Jesus Christ and his word, because I'm loving my spouse, because I'm loving my family, because I love the church and I love the others around me. And this is the goal that I have for parenting, that one that's right there on your page. So then a couple of questions as we finish off our time. What consequence falls on a home with overactive parents? Are overactive parents going to be Happy with the consequences that fall in their home? Are those seeds that you want to plant overactive parents? Can you be overactive? i got a buddy on Facebook who <laughs> proves to be overactive. Run, 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 run. Do, 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 do. Isn't it time for the parent to back off and say, hey, I'm okay if we just want to hang out around the house? Overactive parenting. What about passive parenting? Is there a consequence for that? You're going to run into challenges? Yeah, you're going to run it. What about no discipline? Homes with no discipline. What about homes with no admonition? No putting into the mind? You're going to have problems, right? Those are bad seeds to sow. You know, just as a, as a brother in Christ to you, I would ask you this question Have you seen enough of life to project the future? Have you seen enough of life to project the future? Can you see that if someone's sowing these seeds today, can you see in your mind's eye what that harvest is going to be? Have you seen enough of life? Have you had enough friends in the church that have tried that game, have played that game? 
have gone that road. I've seen someone go that road before, and I remember, I remember. Things were going well for them, and then they just, the whole family just turned left and went away from the Lord. Have you seen life enough? Do you believe that other people have seen life enough to know what these roads lead to? Do you understand that that's one of the things that we need to do as biblical counselors? Is The, the, the Lord is going to take the wisdom of the church and going to put it into people and show them that, yeah, I'm not a prophet, but if you tell me that those are the seeds that you want to sow today and those are the seeds that you've sown before, can I just tell you I have a reasonable expectation of what, what the outcome is going to be? You know, that whole idea, if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future, that, that kind of idea. We haven't discussed optional behavior. We've discussed commands. And we've discussed commands to the glory of God. And so where there's failure, there's always repentance and restoration. And so we'll leave it with that. If you, if you know someone who is a, in a parenting challenge, there's always the opportunity for restoration. And that's the power of the gospel that goes all the way back to the center, the central focus of this. The glory of God is at stake and everything's about him. So any failure goes through the process of peace we talked about before. What do you do when there's a failure? You confess it. Then you repent of it. I don't ever want to do that again. And then you ask for forgiveness and you be restored to God and to the relationships, and then you obey God moving forward from that point. In that, God is pleased, and all parenting challenges or situations can be reconciled in Christ. Well, with that, we'll go ahead and close our time. Father God, we're so thankful for the understanding that your word provides us. We are certain that there is enough instruction in the Bible for us to lead our kids, to shepherd our kids in an understanding way, that we can draw them close to you, point them to you, usher them to you, and leave you, Father, with the opportunity to save them. It is not us that would save them. Uh, Lord, that can't even be our priority in raising them. Our priority must be your glory. And if we take care of our responsibility first, as we talked about tonight on these biblical foundations for parenting, Lord, you will handle the rest. And so we trust you. We love you. We know that you're at work in all these relationships. We give you all the praise and all the glory in Christ's name. Amen.